0: Thanks for downloading this podcast.
1: It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission.
0: Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting Radiolamon.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone,
2: Richard Crail here, and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT, and a whole heap more. weekly spread of interviews, news, views, and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the racetalk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most. The voice of the Melbourne cricket
1: ground as well is Tony Shebeki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com and heard through mypodcasthouse.com and also on the radio show limited live channels and website through radiolamon.co. Richard Crowell, Mark Walker to join me shortly to wrap up what has been a massive weekend of racing on the streets of Adelaide and we'll also catch up with one half of the Kelly brothers, Rick Kelly, driver of the Castrol Mustang, to join us for a chat as well. Firstly, though, it's time to take a look at the headlines from the weekend and hear from the people that made them. Jamie Winkup came out on Saturday morning giving his commitment to the 888 racing team until the end of 2021, ending speculation that his time as a full-time supercar driver might be done. Winkup finished today taking a win in race one of the season and dedicated it to the Holden fans.
2: Uh, had a, had a rocket today. Car was excellent. Made the most of, uh, of pole position. Uh, everything was for straightforward. Good job, man. Um, these boys are fast, but, um, but
3: obviously we had track position. We're up the road a little bit, but um, I'm sure have got to dedicate this one to Holden. Hey? It's, been a, it's been a bloody tough week for everyone involved and um, great to get a win. On Fox
1: Sports there, race two didn't go to plan for the Red Bull Holden racing team with a botched fuel stop forcing race leader Shane Van Gisbergen back into the pits with 10 laps to go for a splash and dash. He dropped to fourth, drove like a madman and came back into podium contention. Then his car broke. Here he is with Neil Crompton on Fox Sports.
3: Well, I think the first problem was the front roll bar broke in the, uh, after the first safety car, so we had no front bar, and I think that's what's eventually failed or whatever it is on the right front, so it's put more load on it and throughout the race, but yeah, the fuel thing is what it is, we'll work that out, but yeah, coming back through and just actually just past cam and then it failed. And then, um, yeah, lucky I didn't take him out. And uh, if yeah, I did take class. him out, if I did take him out, he wouldn't have given me a lift back <laughs> no. to the pits.
1: The winner, Scott McLaughlin, not only taking race two, but the round. His engineer, Ludo Lecra telling on the grid: when you apply pressure, things can happen.
3: Good driving, and uh, you know, trying to put some pressure next door, and they took the pressure they made a bit of a mess of it and and they kept so yeah sometimes you know it's not always easy and pressure does come to us so you know when they put pressure on us sometimes we
1: 23 red team owner Phil Mundy celebrated a birthday on Sunday and his driver, Will Davison, gave him a present to remember, finishing fourth. Mundy telling on the grid he was pretty pleased with the weekend. Not too bad, was
2: it, hey? Um
0: Fourth, we threw it away a little bit. We had a problem with the regulator and then we had a problem with the spike and so we sort of, uh, on our... On our telemetry, we were going to end up in second, so um, it's a bit disappointing. But fourth is still good effort.
1: And for Tickford, three out of the top six—that's just great Bad, for the team. Yeah, pretty good, yeah. That's yeah. no, very good. Yeah, good weekend. The other Tickford driver in the top six was Lee Holdsworth, who left nothing on the track, finishing sixth, but lamenting what could have been in the truck-assist Mustang.
3: Yeah, it was a good
4: recovery. We um, we had the pace. We got screwed with the first safety car, so you know we took a—we didn't take much fuel the first stop got track position but then safety car came out which meant everyone that lined up behind us had more fuel in hand so um luckily we had pace to sort of you know stay with um scotty latch onto the back of him for a while and, and you know had pace over the guys behind so um yeah i was i was pretty surprised to come out where we did after the next stop uh
1: and, and push for a top six which is you know a, a good. A good result, considering, you know, how bad we were at the start of the weekend. While Saturday was a good day for Jamie Cup, Sunday didn't give him the same buzz, even though he finished fifth. Here he is telling on the grid there were a few issues.
0: Um, it was difficult, difficult. We didn't have
2: the
1: pace today, unfortunately, and um, we just the strategy didn't work for us either. We got stuck behind Lee Holt to us, so... Um that's that's the story of the day it's a tough day for brad jones racing with only Nick percat the only driver of their four cars finishing in the top 10 todd Hazelwood finishing 14th team owner brad jones says he knows his team can do better
3: yeah and uh, you know difficult difficult day today i thought yesterday was pretty uh pretty good in terms of speed wise but then nick had a problem so um
1: you know we didn't put enough fueling, Todd, in the, the pit stop. Otherwise, we would have had two cars in the top ten, and we would have been pretty happy with that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the other Jack and Mac, uh, Jack Smith especially, a bit of work to be done there for him in regards to his car, And Oh,
2: I
3: think so. And, yes, he's, you got to remember, it's his first race, yeah. really. So, um, you know, Macca hit the wall today, and that really knocked his day around a lot. And, uh, you know, they came in and, and um, probably should have put four wheels on it, and we only did one, and, you know, still had a bucket of wheels. So
1: bit of work to be done there but uh you know it's not a terrible start but um i i don't feel like we reached our full potential mark Winterbottom finishing just outside the top 10 in 11th and believes he could have also done better in the irwin tools commodore
0: yeah not not good enough really we um had a few dramas in the cabin and all that sort of stuff and then um and then speed as well was down so um you know straight car scotty had a bit of bad luck then so guys will be fixing that next week but um but yeah, try and make it faster, and then survive today and fight again tomorrow.
1: A great job by Kelly Racing to get both of their Mustangs over the line in both races. Andre Heimgartner flying the flag for the team in the Ned Whiskey Ford. Andre, saying there's still plenty more power to be found by his engineers.
4: Yeah, it's good. It's um, good reward for everyone I know. The race is pretty action-packed, and um, but we definitely made a, a step forward with setup and we're able to sort of keep up with Fabian
1: and some of those guys there so I think that's a big step in the direction of where we need to go and um, yeah it's all positive. First weekend in the new car, a lot of improvements?
3: Um, Yeah over the
4: weekend we've gone, you know, we've had a fast car and then detuned it, trying to make it better and then um, sort of c- gone and found a, a fast car a different window again so we're just finding the windows what works, what doesn't work what uh, windows of different strengths and blah blah blah, blah. so yeah. we're,
1: we're just searching at the moment there's still a lot of development to go with the car, the engine um, being lighter and all that sort of stuff so yeah there's still more to come The final word to Erebus driver Dave Reynolds who along with his team and teammate had a dog of a day I'll let Dave explain his tough day at the office
4: Yeah super tough day um I started qualifying.
1: Uh, didn't get out of qualifying because the engine had a misfire.
4: So I missed out, so I started 14. And um, yeah, got a good start. Car felt really good straight away. Just trying to make my way through a few people and um, try to pass the bottom at turn nine and just ran a little bit longer than normal. You know, overshot the corner and tagged Anton turning in and turned him around and fucked his day. And, and you know, I feel pretty disgusted. Yeah, and always tough when it's your teammate, isn't it? Yeah, it's what's well, the worst? There's 22 other people I'd rather turn around and ruin their day than my own teammate, my own team. So,
1: yeah, it's, it's bloody racing. Brody Kostecki took the honours in Super Two, winning the round ahead of Tom Randall and Will Brown. It's a big year for Brody with a new Super Two team and also a new drive in the Enduros racing for Erebus Motorsport. Brody telling on the grid he's working hard to stay on top of his game. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm just great that you know everything was settled really early in the year and um, you know sort of even late last year's sort of thing, so I can just focus on driving. So yeah, the, the only thing really that I really focus on now is pretty much what I'm going to eat every day and sort of um, yeah, just, just I just work on my cars and um, go to the racetrack and do my job. So, lifestyle changes, eating wise, is that something that's been forced upon you, or something you need to do yourself to get fit for enduros and the like? No, it's just something that I had to do. To um, you know, obviously the you know the guys that are in the main series set the standard pretty high for their fitness and. Um you know jumping and changing you know into people's seats and stuff you need to be sort of the you know the same size as them so um you know that was my goal so I still have a fair way to go but um you know pretty happy with the progress i've made so far porsche pace Carrera cup round one winner was McElray driver cooper murray who took a clean sweep of the weekend winning all three races and getting an extra point for taking pole. Stephen Grove taking the win in the pro section.
3: Let's hear from the winners. It's a good way to start our 2020 campaign. Three races, three wins and a pole position. Uh, can't ask for a better weekend than that. Yeah, obviously it's a big confidence booster, uh, going into the Grand Prix especially,
0: where we've got the Michelin Junior Super, Super Cup round as well, where we get the chance to go over to Le Mans and be a spectator there and see what that's all about. And uh, it should be a good, good start to the season.
2: Yeah, changing this sport you got to keep chipping away. You know, uh, practice. The two practices was good, we did well, well, yes, the day after that quali in the first race wasn't great. We brought ourselves back into contention uh, in race two and managed to you know, come away with a win in race three. Unfortunate circumstances, and I passed my best on to, to Maxi and Cookie, and hopefully everything's all right with them. And then we move on. It's, it's good to get another win, and, and now we go to
3: Melbourne Grand Prix and see what we can do there.
1: Aaron Seaton completed a clean sweep of results in Adelaide, holding out a charging Nathan Hearn in the closing laps of the race. Seaton took his Mustang to a lights-to-flag victory, only really challenged by Hearn, in the closing stages. For Seaton... It was a great weekend.
3: Yeah, fingers crossed. There's still five rounds to go and anything can happen, but um, just try and keep our nose clean throughout the throughout all five rounds and do our best and see what happens.
1: And to finish off our headlines today, our very own Dale Rogers caught up with Team Penske boss Tim Sendrick. He asked him about the proposed changes to supercars set for 2022. His response, not one supercars would
3: have wanted to hear. I think it was important for the category. You know, you, you hope that the best... The best years of supercars, you know, aren't past us because you know, the the tribal, the tribalness is what I always recognize when I came across here is, is is that historic battle between Holden and Ford, and there was a point in time where it looked like it might just be Holdens in the field. Um, you know, the Ford camp was you know pretty distraught within a year or two of us coming across, and um, you know now it was a surprise you know announcement relative to you know what Holden's doing, the way in which they did it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's concerning for sure. Uh, I think it's concerning for the fans. It's concerning for the category. And, uh, you know, we, this is only the second year of this car. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we certainly don't want to redo another model of a car, you know, based on other circumstances. So we're focused on what we do and how we do it and what our team is. And I think the series and, and you know, the Holden camp have to figure out their next steps.
1: The entire interview, including his plans and thoughts on Scott McLaughlin, now on theracetalk.com. Right now, though, let's chat to our team. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, let's get straight into it. Our team joins us. Richard Crowell from Racetalk.com. Hello, Crowellsy.
2: Hello, Shebexter. What a weekend it was on the streets of Adelaide. The Adelaide 500 kicking off the year, even though we already kicked off the year at the 12-hour and Asian launches before that. It feels like we've been going for six months, but <laughs> there's so much to uh, to dissect and to unpick from what was a massive weekend on and off track. Um, lots to talk about. Looking forward to doing the deep dive, as usual.
1: A man that followed it all with us over the weekend is Mark Walker, of course, also from the Racetrack, uh, the race Talk, the Racetrack, the Racetalk.com. Hello, Mark.
4: G'day there, Shebex, Kralsey. That was large, a fair bit to unpack. Uh, I don't know where to start. It was all over the place.
2: Well, I, I can start somewhere. So we ended our show last week with our usual shout-out to oh, people yes. to come and have a drink on the race talk. Now, this, this it turns out, dangerous precedent. So we started at, at the Gold Coast last year and the Clocktower Hotel in Surfers Paradise, and one person came up. And all they needed to do was say they listened to the podcast and they, we would buy them a beer. And quite frankly, we didn't think anyone would turn up. One person turned up. Tremendous, outstanding result. We offered the same thing up last week. Join us Friday night at the Cooper's Ale House in the city and mention, find us, mention you, and this is a busy pub too. It was packed. Yep. Uh, Mention that you listen to the podcast and we'll buy you a beer. Well, I'm very pleased to report um, and slightly concerned that we had a 600% increase in traffic and six amazing people turned up uh, having listened all the way through last week's On The Grid to claim their free beer. So to Fraser, Rob, Tam, Nick, Marty, and Andrew, uh, you legitimately blew me away. It's one of the most remarkable things I've ever experienced that you should take the time to come and find us. And they actually, Shebex, came and found us. Yes, they were looking correct. for us, waiting for us to arrive in. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to catch up with some of them as much as we would have liked, but we really appreciate it. Um, if anyone out there owns a beverage company, um, we'd like to talk about some naming rights sponsorship because this is this is going to get expensive. But um, truly a fantastic experience. So I wanted to acknowledge them. Uh, keep listening because at the very end or at random in the show in two weeks' time, we'll tell you where we're going to do it in Melbourne for the Grand Prix. Um, why not?
4: Richard, we- I, I want to apologise. I've set you up for a dive. <laughs> I put the offer out there at the Gold Coast last year because I've got a very expansive beer budget. Like I will buy a beer for anyone. Yep. Um, further to your generous offer of buying beer to people at the racetrack, uh, every Friday night at the Aspley Bowls Club, uh, <laughs> hit me <laughs> up for a pot. I'm, I'm there. Just hit me up.
1: Uh, we we will do that. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we will do that very, very soon. i tell you what, buying beers, there was a bit of champagne bought over the weekend and sprayed on the podium. Uh, A couple of good, solid wins. Uh, A very good win to Jamie Winkup on the Saturday, no doubt about that. And uh, as we heard before, he marked that win basically by signing a contract with Triple Eight for another year or two. And Mm. a lucky win. We've got to say it was a lucky win in the end to last year's champion in Scott McLaughlin.
2: Yeah, it was. uh, But it it felt kind of appropriate that we should end round one with one all to the two dominant teams of the last era at the start of this supposed new era with the changes to the cars, the new damper, aero changes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm I'm sure that Adrian Burgess, Campbell Little, all the team that have been working on the rehomologation of these cars over the off-season will be pleased. On one race, it cannot be judged. We know that from last year. We need to get a big sample size before we see if all this parity stuff is under the bridge for this year. But – it looked pretty even. The, the closeness of the shootouts, I think, is an indication of that. We'll talk about that a bit later on. But I, I, I thought it was interesting. Race one, for me, you know, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. It was an interesting race more than anything. But I think with all the hype leading into the year about all of the changes we talked about, we probably expected more. Turned out we just had to wait 24 hours because Sunday was your classic tear them up Adelaide 500 yeah. that we all know and love um drama controversy um some really good hard racing some pretty average driving from some as well um and a twist and a turn at the end that as you said turned things on its head so i i kind of like it I, I like where we sit after one event of 14 this year and and i think it sets the tone for what's going to be a, a pretty competitive season
4: rich i like what you wrote on the night that good teams are good. Yeah. You know, you've know, you got your Deja, Team Penske, Triple Eight, the usual suspects. We've changed everything. Changed the arrow, changed the shock. All these things changed, but it's still different. It was still the exact same result at the front of the field. Mm. My big hope for the weekend was that someone down the pack, an Erebus or a Brad Jones or someone, was going to unlock something after that one test day on this new damper, especially. I think that was going to be the thing that was going to blow it all apart, but No-one did it. It was the the usual suspects that figured it out the quickest, and that's why these guys win all the championships and win all the big races. So uh, kudos to them for getting it right. And the thing is now that they've got this data bank of a week running this new package, they'll turn around. They've still got a lot to play with in the front upright and the geometry in the front end that they can tune to this new damper. So there's still an opportunity there for people to unlock it, but the fact that these big guys have gotten through – the first round uh, without anyone touching them, I think they're going to be hard to rein
1: in. No, you're absolutely right. I think they will. And you mentioned Erebus hoping uh, that they might have been the team that was going to put up some sort of challenge. Uh, Gee, that went pretty quickly, didn't it, when Dave Reynolds just absolutely wiped his teammate
3: out?
2: Well, I mean, we should should mention that they only just missed a podium on the Saturday. So Dave was quick all weekend, um, ran third for a good chunk of Saturday's race and ultimately fourth. So that wasn't wasn't terrible. Certainly not the the storming performance we would have hoped for, but yeah, the wheels fell off the wagon. And I tell you what, I'm pleased they're going round again with the Erebus Doco. The the first season hasn't even aired yet, um, and we saw what the the Netflix Doco did for Formula One. It it, it changed the perceptions from some people. Uh, I get the feeling that season one of the Erebus Doco that will air later this year in Australia, and it should be available around the world as well. We'll do the same for that team. But, gee, they're fired up season two with a start because there'll be uh, a few expletives I would have thought when old Dave crunched into Anton at turn nine, the opening lap of the race and it's turned funny. him around. And it's funny I love Dave's Richard. comment. During the week, he said, um, he said, oh, I I'd, I'd spent 78 laps stewing over that one and feeling terrible for myself. And um, the team would probably say, well, so you should.
1: But it's funny you oh, mentioned that because when I spoke to Barry Ryan two- will be very,
4: very sweary, which will be fantastic. I mean, that's what we're – paying money to see this sort of stuff. But Dave shouldn't have been back in 14th to start with. I mean, you shouldn't be in a position to hit your teammate. He should be up the front and not back in 14th. I
1: was just going to say, guys, when I spoke to uh, Dave Reynolds and we heard his grab a little bit earlier in the news segment, as soon as we finished that, the cameras were on through that interview that i did with him for the uh, minute or two and then anton de pasquale walked to his car from that point dave left me straight away went straight to anton and a massive embrace and hug between the two of them i'm sure that picture will be uh part of the documentary there's no doubt about it because it was fairly emotional in the way that dave responded to uh to anton in his apology
2: yeah and and so it should be but I, i get the feeling they're a pretty close team so I don't think that's that, – I don't think it's all bad. We, we talk about teammates KOing each other, but it's not like it's Tickford, so it's all good. Um, that was a bit of a dig at Tickford taking each other out there, by the way. Uh-huh. Let, let's talk about Tickford, and and actually, let's not – let's talk about a former Tickford driver because we should start with Chaz Mostert because oh, yeah. if there was one – I don't know if it's a surprise, but a, one pleasing result from the weekend is that WAU looked competitive and Chaz Mostert was in the top 10 just about every session – he was in the shootout. He raced in the top five or six on both days and came away with a, a couple of really solid results and a podium finish on Saturday. And and that would have been a podium even if Shane had had some dramas. So uh, hadn't had some dramas. So what do we make of that? Is it is it a turning point for Walkinshaw and Andretti United? Is this change of engineering and bringing in a, a new slate of drivers paying off? Or are we reading too much into one event? on a really challenging bumpy street circuit that often throws up some variable results.
4: Rich, what I think the deal is there is that he sort of hinted at it a few times when we was talked over the weekend is that he's now the team leader there. He Mm. can build that team around him where, you know, you look back over time, HRT, it was the Holden racing Tander and FPR Mm. was frosty performance racing. Those guys had those teams built around them. Here, He's gone from the four-car deal at Tickford, which was you know, every man for themselves, I think. You know, we couldn't be seen to have one team leader. But here he's got the rookie t- uh, co-driver. He's got his engineering people behind him. Uh, I think it's a good thing for Chaz that he's on the front foot out there you know, making the best of it. So saying that, Walkinshaws have gone out. They've done very well in Adelaide before. And and fade away to nothing, so hopefully it's not a case of that because it is a bit of a different track and very bumpy street circuit. It's not completely typical of what is to come on the calendar, so it's going to take time to find out exactly where they're at, but it was definitely a positive start.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that they've improved, but as you said, Mark, uh, street circuits have been very good to Wilkinshaw, And WAU in the past, James Courtney, has had some very good results on the streets of the Gold Coast, Adelaide and the like. So we'll wait and see how they go over the next uh, couple of races to see whether there's improvement. But I'll tell you what, a sign for me that that team is definitely on the right track was the smile on Bryce Fullwood's face every time he was interviewed in front of a camera. Mm. I've never seen a rookie driver so happy to be a part of something as he was on the weekend.
2: Yeah, I you know, I'm really pleased for Bryce and, and some people have uh, talked down his involvement in that team, like it, that it's a cash grab and that they've just gone after a driver with budget, but he's the Super 2 champion. Like mm-hmm. this guy is a title winner in a supercar in a pretty competitive development series last year. So it's not like he can't drive. Has he got a sponsor? Absolutely he does. Brilliant that they've backed him as they have. Um, but I, I really like that Walkinshaw's done that. And, and I think there's strategy here. Like Mark said, the, this gives that team the perfect opportunity to build Chaz as the number one driver, to centre everything around him, but drag a young bloke up as well who is, you know, who's got great potential, but is going to need a year to learn. Learn the tracks he hasn't driven before, learn the car, learn the setup, learn everything that's different about racing in the main game compared to to racing in super two. So it strikes me as a pretty good strategy. And I, I think he's going to have a couple of good results this year. He'll have some up downs as well, no doubt. But um, yeah, I, I don't mind it. I, I think he'll be one to watch it at various points throughout the year.
4: On the subject of rookies, uh, I reckon a bit of kudos has to go to Zane Goddard. He's 16th in the points after the weekend, obviously running the, the split scenario there. In the second of the Matt Stone cars, but he kept it out of the fence, picked up points, picked up a whole heap of experience. I think that was a, a fairly commendable weekend, and I think um, it, it sort of surprised a fair few people in that Matt Stone bunker. So good job, Zane got mm. there 16th, and I think he's the leading of the rookies.
2: Yeah, and on that, there's a there's an argument to be had that Brad Jones Racing had a pretty solid weekend as well with. Nick Perkett, no, Nick Perkett on the money on Sunday, unfortunately taken out early in, in race one. Um, Todd Hoserwood made up 10 spots after qualifying poorly on Saturday and raced pretty strongly on Sunday. So you feel like at least half of that garage is is looking pretty strong and they could be somewhere there or thereabouts. And if there's a strategy race that enables Braid to make one of his zany strategy calls that he's done in the past, then there's no reason not to expect that that team couldn't be somewhere in the mix as well. But I agree with you on, on Zane. I thought he was uh, – a real quiet achiever and kept his nose clean, which often in a first round is uh, pretty hard to do.
1: Well, I'd like to get your thoughts in, guys. We've given plaudits to uh, a couple of rookies and you spoke about Brad Jones Racing. It would be remiss of us not to speak about Jack Smith, who just had an absolute shocking introduction into the category.
2: Yes, he did. it wasn't great, um, and not not a debut um he's he's done some full-time rounds in a wild card for yeah. the last couple of years, so not his first rodeo and and look didn't disgrace himself in his wild cards so so i I think the only way you can look at this now is baptism of fire in a straight circuit in the main game, and it just didn't roll out, did it but at the same point, James Courtney crashed at turn eight as well, and he's won the Adelaide 500 twice and is a former champion so. A little bit of context, perhaps. It didn't cover himself in glory, young Jack. Um, missing the driver photo was a big no-no. That that wasn't a great look at all. Um, but he'll quickly quickly learn to that. And and we understand that he was pretty distraught when he found out that that was a thing. And um, the punishment for that was was reasonably severe, as it should be. But these are the these are the things that um, that make great racing car drivers into brilliant ones. And it's the same for a race team there's a responsibility on the team to manage that as well for their drivers and race car drivers are typically pretty average at uh, nailing times and unless they're in the race car. So um, yeah, look, it was tough, wasn't it, Mark? But um, Adelaide's bitten bigger names than Jack Smith.
4: Uh, But then there was the problem with Rico and the pits, uh, blocking in Rico. That wasn't great. And the blue flag drama on Saturday wasn't great. And and he had a bit of blue flag drama last year. Was that, uh simmons planes where he he got in the yeah, way of was. the leaders like yeah yeah you're not going to make a real great name for yourself if you're going to do that and especially in your rookie year you are going to get lapped it's it's a thing that's going to happen in these 200k races coming up so probably uh be a bit more mindful of that you know obviously he's got some experienced people there in the pits who will have to keep on top of it and you know all that technology's out there they know when the blue flags are going to come out so uh mm. Yeah, live and learn, but he uh, definitely ran a different haircut, no denying that. <laughs> <Yeah>. He's gone, <laughs> gone the short clip yes, rather has. than the big, the big luscious locks, so hopefully uh, that can improve his performance somehow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We've <laughs>
1: spoken about drivers who have made their debut into the series. Uh, we've got a team that made his, their debut into the series as well. Of course, that is the team of Team Sydney, formerly uh, techno racing. So not a taboo as such, mm. but under the new guys, they are, uh, is there much to be impressed about there and much to look forward to? <laughs> no,
2: uh, it was, it was rough. Wasn't it from the test day where they didn't turn many laps at all to the, will they, won't they announced Chris Pith is actually driving that everybody knew. Um, and there was no formal announcement. It was up to the media to break that. um, to the cars not being very good on the weekends.
1: In between um, there, though, Richard. But before that, <laughs> don't forget the change of sponsor as well, which was one yeah, of the weirdest and, thing you've ever seen. One day yes. you've got this massive Coke car, the next day it's not there.
2: Yeah, and 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 that's another story that we can go into because Boost Mobile appeared as if by magic on James Courtney's car Friday morning. Um, but I, I tell you what, if you listen to this show last year, we we went quite in depth into the whole Boost Mobile saga with Gary Rogers Motorsport. And I feel like we ended 2019 under the impression that Boost Mobile wasn't going to sponsor a supercar (laughs) at all and be involved in the sport until there were serious and dramatic changes made to the way the sport was run. Mm. Um, Well, I don't think there's been serious and dramatic changes. Um, Certainly the control upright that uh, Mr. Boost was asking for hasn't emerged. They've gone halfway with the shock. Um, And yet there they are slapped on the side of a car, but, Again, there wasn't like there was a press release really announcing it, and it was done a bit haphazardly. Uh, Not a great start. Um, The sport has put a lot into the sport, and I mean this by the series, has put a lot into this team being a thing and being an important part of the Supercars Championship. Um, Getting James Courtney was a good step, but uh, they did not cover themselves in glory at round one.
4: The thing with this team is that, from what I can gather, uh, versus last year and now they've gone from one car to two they've got one mechanic and the truck driver have carried over from last year so it's basically clean sheet start again and it also it seems like it's been a bit last minute so i don't think there was any expectation for any sort of result over the weekend um and i don't think there's any great expectations moving forward in the next few rounds i think james courtney's probably got expectations he wants to uh, return to his winning ways. I'm sure he wouldn't be bothered doing this if he wasn't expecting to uh, to be up the grid somewhere. Um, yeah, I still... I'm, I'm shocked about the Peter Adderton thing. I mean, yeah. the reason why people were talking about him last year is that he would come out with some wild stuff which would give clickable stories. So everyone ran it because it was just yep. easy clicks. And there's no other sponsor. There's nobody else out there who says... The, the loose things that he says, and, and he gets the publicity from that. The problem is, from a PR perspective, if you turn around and say what he did and did what he did that, in the eyes of many, shut down Gary Rogers Motorsport, I mean, that's the public perception of it, wasn't mm. it? That it was Bruce was walking away from their two-year deal, Gary Rogers didn't have a sponsor at the last minute and had to pull a pin, and, and then turn around and do this. Even if you get the deal of the century in it, you'd be crazy not to do it. People who follow the sport aren't going to go and buy your SIM cards now, are they? No, they're not going to. No, you know, like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm. I'm all about sponsorships. Great for the sport; it keeps us all employed. But from a PR perspective, not great. So
2: you're all yeah, about I sponsorships, agree with, that I agree. I should... agree with you, that They've got to own this, though. But, and and just well, I went back. Let's go back to where they didn't announce Chris Pithy. He just emerged and yeah. drove out of pit lane at the bend at the test day last week. Um, put a press vote out for crying out loud. They, they need to own this. They need to be front about this. Now, whether that's James, whether that's Jonathan Webb, whether it's supercars themselves, I don't know. I, I'm not sure who's responsible for all of that because they haven't told anyone um, from a team point of view, but they've, they've got to go and go, okay, look, this is going to be tough. Yet we've just rebuilt the team from scratch. Um, we're starting from scratch here. We've got some triple eight rigs. They're going to be okay. Um we're still working on engineering them and getting them up to speed. It's going to take time. Bear with us. P.S. We've got these sponsors on board. How good is it to have Coke back in the category? Boost Mobile. Well, they speak out, but, gee, it's cool to have a sponsor. They're back, James, for a long time. Isn't it great? They're coming on. All of these things could have been done without raising a sweat whatsoever, but they did nothing, and that's probably what bugs me with Magerno hat on and also being a PR guy on the other side because it it doesn't take much to get a win with – news involving a former supercar champion and the most talked about team arguably in the entire off-season. so that's probably what bugs me the most and i hope i really hope that they they at least communicate what they're doing and what their aims and what they're achieving rather than just pushing a red car out and us sitting there going oh it is chris pither excellent mm.
1: so mark you are very much of the opinion that sponsors should be seen and not heard
4: <laughs> oh no but if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. Like, I, I think people have a longer memory than two months in Punterville. So, yeah. and, you know, the, there are a lot of hardcore fans that follow the sport, that read the websites, that are up to date with the news, and they would have seen everything unfold last year. So, if you, you know, if he walked away from supercars and sponsored Gary's S5000 TCR cars this year, that would have been great. Like, people wouldn't have seen a problem with that. But uh, anyway he 's got his agenda, and uh, good for him for for coughing up the money.
1: Richard, I want to have a chat to you about the event itself. Uh, John Davison, long time promoter of uh, the race uh, supercar racing at Sandown, coming out uh, today on Facebook and absolutely lambasting the figures that supercars put up as attendance figures for the weekend saying that he believed that there was only no more than 25,000 at the track on the Sunday. All days did look down. There's no doubt about that. The stands did look empty. You're a little bit concerned about the event moving forward. Oh, yeah. I I'm,
2: I'm don't want to talk about John too much because it, it, a, it's impossible to judge attendance unless you're there. Yeah. Um. And, and I'm fairly confident he wasn't there, but, To the event attendance at the Adelaide 500 is not released by supercars. It's released by the South Australian government. Uh, And my understanding is that since the event was founded, and in fact, since the days of the Grand Prix, there's part of the, I don't know what you call it, the constitution, the law, whatever it is, that because it's a government funded event, the numbers they have to publish are all audited and have to be factual regardless because it's taxpayer money that's involved. Um, So... So I believe the 206,000 figure that they put out because I believe it was 50,000 down on the 260 odd they had 12 months ago. Yeah. I, there's no doubt that there were less people there. Um and that's something that the event has to seriously look at why. I, I reckon there's a couple of extenuating circumstances. I, the discretionary money that people may have spent to go to this event, I reckon a lot of spent on uh on the bushfires and, and charity and, and you know there's been 150 million dollars raised out of people's pockets that they may have indeed spent on going to racing instead but decided that they'd donate to bushfire relief um i would have thought that crowds would have been up given the holding news so that was a massive surprise for me that they were down um yeah and look there's probably some st- event stuff that that needs to be looked at from a from a facility point of view, from a, a layout point of view, there wasn't a big-name concert. So last year, the Red Hot Chili Peppers there were crying out loud. Um, now, the Hilltop Hoods are great, but they're not going to drag an extra 20,000 through the gate like a major concert act. Mm. So there's a whole a whole range of variables. But I, I think, and this has been reported on quite heavily over here in South Australia in the last couple of days, as you can imagine, I think some context is still required because at 206,000, it is still by far the biggest event on the supercar calendar outside of the grand prix. Um 66,000 on Sunday and I believe that figure um that is still the biggest single day crowd at a supercar event on the calendar um outside of the grand prix of course. Um so it, it's not the end of the world if this is just if if the event crashes and stays at 200,000 for the next couple of years, I don't think it's a disaster because it's still massive. So, you know, there's doom and gloom about it, but there needs to be some context in that discussion that in relative to all of the other events on the calendar, it's still enormous. Um, and maybe this is a wake-up call, a bit of a, a slap around the ears for the promoters that they do need to reinvigorate. But I, I think it is for supercars as well, boys. I, I, reckon, I reckon the sport needs to have a big, hard look at themselves over this and go, well, what can we do to change this up? And one of the things for mine is the, sh- the schedule. The schedule was rubbish on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, You had one token practice session on Thursday evening. Um, Now, 30,000 people go to this event on a Thursday to see support categories for Crying Out Loud. Give them more. It's a four-day event or make it three days. Simple as that. Um, They weren't on track till 2 o'clock on Friday. There was no qualifying on Friday. Now, some will argue that the practice session on Friday night was important because the top 10 progressed to part two of qualifying. But spare me, that means nothing punters want to go pay their money and see something meaningful. And if that's qualifying, then that that's much better than a practice session, surely. Um, And then Mark pointed out that the driver's parade was held at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning when there was no one there. Absolutely, just strange, strange decisions like that are part of the reason. And I think people looked at the schedule and went, well, I don't know if I want to pay 150 bucks to go and sit in the grandstands and see that. I
4: think they're rich. hit something there with the concerts i mean they've always had such massive concerts you know over the years you look back they've been fantastic and they've still built all that infrastructure it's all sitting there it's still that massive stage out the back that the red hot Mm. chili peppers used last year but then they've skimped out and not paid for the red hot chili peppers to be there obviously there's been counters that have done the maths that you know the amount that they have to turf out to get those guys there isn't worth that twenty thousand extra tickets you're going to sell Mm-hmm. Who knows? I'm I'm not the mathematician that has to come up with that, but I I think Adelaide it's a it's an event, isn't it? You know it's it's not a car race, it's a massive event, and I mean you you look at the corporate suites and there's I think that suffered a bit over the years with the Adelaide Oval coming good. You really yep. noticed at the year that the new oval came in that a lot of those little corporate boxes that Ma and Pa's tow tow truck operators or the bakery or whatever it was. They, they didn't come back that next year because they had a box at the Oval. So I think that took a bit of a hit on it a few years ago. But, yeah, Tom will tell uh, if they can get the formula right again. The the problem
2: is, Shebex, that uh, I, this couldn't have happened at the worst time for supercars. So they've been smashed in the face with Holden, and now they've been smashed in the face with this. Um, and, and, of course, everyone's going to go doom and gloom on this straight by default because that's what the media does when the context is that it's still the biggest event on their calendar. But this event's up for grabs at 21. Um, So it's got one more year left on its current deal. Now, the government can do one of three things. They can re-sign supercars. They can shut the event down. Or, and people forget this, they could go and get something else because it's not a supercars event. Supercars get paid to turn up and race, Mm. but this isn't a supercar event. They could go and get... Formula E, heaven forbid, the they Chinese could go and Grand get Free. IndyCar. They could get NASCAR. So the Grand Prix, like you wildly speculated last week, like the they they could have other events instead of supercars there. So this needs to be managed from a sport level, not just from the Adelaide 500 government promoter level. That that's where for mine this is important, and I just hope that everyone's really engaged on this because. The 500 remains the crown jewel in the supercar calendar, and without it, things look very, very different, in my opinion. And I say that hand-on-heart parochial South Australian completely admittedly on that, but um, I don't think you'll find many people up and down pit lane that would disagree that, that losing that event on the supercar calendar would be an enormous, enormous
1: blow. Yeah, it certainly would be. Guys, final word on the weekend before we wrap it up.
2: Uh, look, I, I enjoyed it. I I was, I was a bit flat like most people after Saturday, but I was glad things came alive on Sunday. Um, and, and we got a really entertaining motor race and hopefully that builds going into the GP and we get some more of that. Um, I love the top 10 shootouts and, and Adelaide after bath is for mine and the, the best place for a shootout, just the nature of the track. Gold coast comes close, I'd admit. Um, and the fact that on, on Saturday we had Six cars covered by a tenth of a second and the top three covered by a hundredth on one flying lap shows that there's some real competitive intent um, at the pointy end. And that at least over a lap, the playing field is pretty level. Um, Yeah, look, I I think there's a lot to get out of it. Super 2 was entertaining despite the fact they've only got 13 cars. The racing was really good. Um, And yeah, look, there's there's a lot lot of positives to get out of it some some things that will need to be worked on and, and we've discussed, but uh, a really solid start to the year, I felt.
4: I'm hoping for a mixed bag at the Grand Prix. Weird mm. format there. The four 10-minute qualifying sessions, four 100-kilometre uh, races. So I just hope that something crazy happens in qualifying. Someone buggers it up and winds up one of those leading Red Bulls or or Scotty McLaughlin, I was going to say um, Fabian Coulter, but he was a bit nowhere on the weekend, unfortunately. He got caught out there with that uh, double stacking in the pits. Yeah, yeah. I just hope that it's, a, it's just uh, a bit different at the Grand Prix. Very different style circuit there. So if someone has been smart with their suspension set up in the front, it'll definitely show there.
1: Boys, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Mark Walker. Richard, you stay with me, though, because very shortly we're going to be joined by Rick Kelly from Kelly Racing to talk about their new ventures into the Ford Mustang. Have a great week, Mark. We'll talk to you uh, soon. Cheers, boys. All right, Richard, time to catch up with the man who, well, I'm sure him and his brother Todd have had a hectic few months trying to get everything organized from uh, what was a Nissan Altima to a Ford Mustang, getting two on the track with himself and Andre Heimgartner. And Richard, at the end of the day, these guys have done pretty well, you would reckon?
2: I reckon they have. Tony Shebecky, we can say a very big g'day to Rick Kelly from the Casserole Racing Team. Hey, Rick, um, congratulations, mate. I, I know ninth place probably isn't something you're going to cheer about, but... Given the off season you guys have had, I reckon that was a, a pretty remarkable debut for your team as a Ford Mustang squad.
0: Do you agree? Yeah. Well, firstly, how are you going? Um, yeah, for sure I think it is a good a good outcome. But it's one of those things, as soon as you hit the track, you look what's ahead and not, not what you know, not what's behind. So Todd kept getting a big smile on his face, you know, when we'd when we'd go okay or, or finish Saturday in the top nine, but instantly I was it gives you more drive and more motivation and um, more almost frustration that you're not quite, um, you know, where, where you, you want to be. You want to be, as soon as you're ninth, you want to be fifth. When you're fifth, you want to be third, and you get third, and you want to be first. So just, you know, as soon as we got ninth, it's like, yeah, that's really cool. Now how do we get further up the grid? So, but, yeah, you're right. In re- reflection after the weekend, when you sit back and work out a week ago we didn't have a car to put on the track, it, it is probably a pretty good um, first weekend now. Uh,
1: and i suppose off the back of that rick uh, you haven't actually lost anything to last year i mean yourself and andre were sitting around these positions most of the year last year anyway and the good news is is that even though you haven't lost anything there's so much more improvement to come one would think over the next few race meetings
0: yeah i actually think that compared to the adelaide 500 last year we've gained a, a lot already on our first outing We Tom kept mentioning the positions we were in the practice sessions after each session on the weekend, and it was a long way further back than where we are. Um, yeah, so, I mean, to grab the, uh, a spot in the shootout on Sunday is, um, is very good for us in our first outing, um, but, but, you know, like I say, you, you, you really want to work out um, work out how you can get further up, and there is a lot of low-hanging fruit as far as the progression for us goes initially. With just having got the car ready as best we could. You know, there's a lot of things that we need to fix on it and improve on it in the short term. So it's good. We're not sort of scratching our heads, wondering how we get from, you know, the back half of the top 10 forward. We already have some really, really good things to try. But yeah, it's a, that's a, it is a big change from this end, but it's why we embarked on this project as well. We needed to put ourselves in a position where we can get the results we've always strived to get. And the shift from four cars back to two has made that, a lot more achievable, and the shift from our last year's car to the Ford Mustang is exactly the same. It's made the possibilities, I think, a lot um, stronger for us. So even Sunday, we had obviously a fair list of dramas going. Probably would have been well well within a, a shot of getting say sixth or so. I think before we pitted were around eighth, and had the, we would have passed a couple of it double stacked, and certainly had the pace to be further forward. So yeah, it's um, it's promising uh t- what about from a,
2: a driving perspective you got 20 laps in andre's car in the shakedown at winton the sunday before you probably didn't get as many laps as you would have liked it the bend on tuesday at the test day with a few little issues yeah. there how did you go from a driving perspective and was adapting to the new car the new aero the new engine as well or was it a big step was it something you got into quickly how did you find that
0: um, initially, I thought it was pretty a pretty small step and that it would be it'd be um, pretty easy to adapt. But as we've gone through Eclipse, I've sort of swayed one way and the other on what, what the car sort of wants from me to make it perform at, at its best and get the most out of the tyre. So, you know, we tried a few things and it sort of indicated that I need to clear the brake and coast through the corner a bit more. And we went further down that direction and got to Saturday qualifying and realised that, that that was a bit of a dead end for us and we need to turn back the other way as quick as we could. So... There's still, I think that proves there's still a lot of, um, a lot of learning that's got that, that's got to happen for us to get the most out of it, both setup wise and driving wise. And even the, the incident both Andre and I had at turn eight, I think, is a good example of how we don't know that package because we both, in those situations, expect something different from the car than what it gives us, and you end up, you know, in that situation, you end up in the fence wondering what just happened, but. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of that, that that goes on, but towards the end of the race Sunday, I, um, you know, I started to understand what I needed to do in the car a little bit better and refine my my inputs. And you know, in doing that, it's actually pretty rewarding because we, we've, you know, we've I've always been very good at trying to get myself to a position in the race and then defend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to get yourself to a position in the race and attack, not defend all the time. And I found myself doing that on the weekend. and, yeah, you know, a couple of times I, I um, fired past a, a couple of people and then hustled a bit, looked in my mirror, and I would pulled away and had a, a bit of a chuckle to myself because it's actually been a little while since I've been able to do that. So, you know, in in the change as well and getting used to the car, it's given me a little bit more, or a hell of a lot more, motivation and drive, and you know, unearthed a bit of the old Rick,
1: if you like. Sometimes it's just the little things in life, isn't it, that just make you smile. <laughs> certainly is. <laughs> hey, Rick, one thing that I know that I was thoroughly enthralled with, and I know a lot of other people were as well, were the regular updates coming through on Facebook and socials of the like of the building of the, the new Mustang from pretty much scratch. And I, I think that's the thing that impresses me the most is that you, uh, you guys, Kelly Racing, uh, won't be a customer uh, team. You want to do everything yourself, and we fully praise you for that. But that must have made the last few months just so stressful.
0: Yeah, for you know, for three different parts for um, Todd or almost the love of Todd, but only a, a few parts for me. But we ended up in that position with this mustang, through it being almost the only way of us achieving the pro- project like we wanted to, so you know you can't go down the street and buy a. A supercar Mustang and an engine—it just doesn't exist. And the way we ended up looking at everything and going through the different opportunities that were there and ones that, that really weren't—it was the only way for us to achieve what we wanted to in the time frame with the, you know, with the um, resources we yeah. had. So we got got a it and it was, you know, definitely the the best decision. As soon as we decided to do the engine, I'm like, this can have us come unstuck really quickly if we don't get on top of that. And on the weekend, I just I just can't believe how close they've got it straight away like for us to be able to go up the straight and race Fabian in a Penske car without um, losing anything is just you know outstanding for those guys to deliver that so there's obviously a couple of little things we need to do to um, tidy up here and there but it's been um, definitely uh, a a project that's been rewarding straight away and for me as well I mean Todd worked all through Christmas and all through a lot of the nights running the machine shop, when the guys went there and helping build the engines and all that stuff. But for me, and the areas I can assist in, a lot of that didn't kick in for me until mid-January. Once I come back from the twelve-hour, walked into the workshop and worked out we were in a fair bit of trouble and got got my hands dirty with you know the things that I could help with. So I was lucky over Christmas. It's it's sometimes a good thing that you never learn how to build an engine or run a machine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, just, and just on the process of the engine, Rick, tell us, take us through that. I think initially you had a Stone Brothers engine from a few years ago, and that was used as a, a prototype for what you now have now?
0: Yeah, so t- we got an engine and some IP, I think, off those guys, and we uh, yeah, put that engine on the dyno and ran through a few things, and then we and then we started making all of our own component components and bolting it to that engine and testing them, including exhaust systems and... I think some stuff and everything else that we that we managed to design and make ourselves. So um, by the time we got to the complete engine, I'm not sure we used too much of the if that one in the mm-hmm. end. But nevertheless, it was still a, ha- a very handy piece of equipment to have in those earlier stages, so we could at least test some of the stuff that we we're making along the way. But um, yeah, we, we, we've again as a team got a, a standalone engine that's very much a kelly racing engine, and we, the cool thing is even with how the engine runs and the exhaust system sounds. It, it's pretty, um, it's an individual sound as it comes past. You can pick that it's, uh, one of our cars, which is pretty special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely noticeable from the,
2: from the first practice session on Thursday afternoon on, on Adelaide, which was um, really interesting to note. Um, so yeah. this sport never stands still. Grand Prix is basically two weeks away. What do you do between now and then? And what are you targeting for Albert Park? as far as the next step in the evolution of these cars go. Obviously, it was a a rush to get them ready for Adelaide, so it must be nice just to have a little bit of time to have a think about things.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things with that. One is if we went back to Adelaide this weekend, we'd know where we we would roughly sit. But going to the Grand Prix, just because we we finished in the, you know, the back end of the 10 pace-wise at Adelaide doesn't mean that we'll be there at the Grand Prix. So we've got to keep an open mind there and, and really keep our heads down and backsides up on, achieving what we need to. So heading away from there, there's a good list of stuff that I've um, put forward and they're all consistent things with what the team want to do anyway, as far as the little items to tidy up and work on and build and so on. Um, but we've got to have a little bit of a balancing act there because the guys have been working night and day. Everyone's, everyone's um, you know pretty buggered and needs to recover a little. So we've got to manage it a little bit with some time, I think, away from work where, where necessary and where needed. You know, together with the t- starting to tick some of those things off the list. So, I mean, I'm I'm full of excitement and motivation right now. I want to just get in there and, and get all these little things done that we know we can do to help the performance and make sure we head to the Grand Prix stronger than we finished. And I'm sure we'll be able to get through some of them and some of them might we might have to be a little bit more patient.
1: Uh, Rick, one thing that you guys are very big on is our team and family and, and everyone sort of fits in and, and feels at home. In, as part of your team, you lose one of your family members as of uh, Sunday with Nick Ryan leaving the the organisation yeah. after a long stint, commercial manager for the team and the like. How much of a blow is that going to be to the organisation uh, over the next three to four, even six to eight months as you try to replace him and, and move forward?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a big um, change in our team because Nick was actually employee number one of... Um, of our new of our new business because we employed him before we even had a team or had a premises or anything in November two thousand and eight, So of started the two thousand and nine season. So, you know, that's a that's a very long time to have someone like that in in your business and leading uh, you know, a major part of your business and helping with the way the team works and gels and what we are as a team. So, you know, it's still sinking in, actually. His his last day was only on Sunday of Adelaide. So it's still sinking in as what that means for us and what it will feel like with having him not be there. But we've also um, had a lot of people um, that we haven't been able to continue with this year or have left of their own accord as well. And as we've gone from four to two, we've lost... um, Scott Sinclair, who was a general manager of racing as well. So you walk into our team now and it's, it's very small. It's very different to what it felt like a little little while ago. And it's sad in some ways, but it's also exciting in other ways because it allows people below those positions to, to step up and show what they're capable of having having the opportunity to, to do so. So um, we've already seen that, and that's been really exciting for me because, you know, in some cases you're like, will they sink or swim? I'm not sure. And um, in all the cases we've seen, they've, they've swam, and they're very different people in those positions to what um, what they were in the previous one. So I'm really excited about that and the opportunity that's um, that it's created for us to take a step forward. And there's no there's no space in our team or time to um, to do anything but work together and get the job done. Um, that's the, the good thing about being so rushed. Now everyone has really come together to get the job done, and it's formed a really really Close, tight, um, well-oiled race team of two cars now. So, you know, everything happens for a reason, and the timelines really brought us brought us together. But um, as much as it's it's going to it's going to be strong, it, you know, we also need to take the time to, I think, thank those those guys that have, have been a big part of that team. They've certainly got us to to where we are um, now. Well, my final question, Rick, was
2: going to be on those lines, and you've probably answered half of it already, but. Talk about the team as a whole and where you feel it sits from an off-track point of view, perhaps as well as on, because you mentioned the fact that the team started from scratch in 08 and then it was reinvented at the start of the Nissan era. This is like the third sort of reinvention of Kelly Racing as a a supercar team, but you've got two good cars, you've got two great drivers, um, a real impressive young gun in Andre Heimgartner, who everyone rates as one of the the potential future stars of our game, which is terrific. And you've got two fully sponsored cars as well, Ned Australian Whiskey on board and Castrol, who have just been amazing for the team and for the sport in general for a long time. So, yes, change, but do you feel like the team's in a a healthy position moving into this new chapter?
0: Yeah, I think it's actually as healthy as it's ever been, to be honest. Um, You know, Todd Mm. and I have been a long time, and it's easy to get to this point and be pretty tired of, of doing the same thing in the sport. No, I've never seen him in the stadiums in now as far as how excited and motivated he is. And huh. to be honest, it's the same feeling from, from my point of view. And the thing that we need to do really quickly is get away from being happy and excited about finishing ninth because we did that on the yes. weekend. And it's a big change for us and a big achievement. But um, that's going to really quickly change naturally. And, you, you know, if you said to Shane Van Gisberg or Scott and Jamie Winkart, whoever, that's from the front, would they be happy with ninth? How would they be feeling about that as a team? They'd be pretty damn disappointed. And so, you know, that's that's going to change for us just like it, it has for those guys when we start to move forward. It's going to be a position, hopefully, that we, that we aren't happy with and aren't satisfied with. And after one result like that, I already feel like that. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. And I think everyone in our team feels the same way. And I think the good thing as well is we've won before, And that's quite important because when you do get a good car and you do work hard to get to the front, winning sometimes changes people, especially when they haven't done it before. You go, you get a little bit funny and arrogant and walk around like you have achieved everything in the world, and and that's when you leave the bonnet pins undone, and that's when you leave the wheel nuts loose, or the driver loses his head. So, you know, it's 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 a good thing that we've done it before and that we've got the hunger to get back there because I think when we do get the car to get up the front, we'll be able to, we'll be able to um, hopefully maintain it. But the biggest step. I think is not getting the cars to the track. It's getting the cars from ninth to the front. So we need not relax now. We need to get that team um, that that we, like we, I think we both agree, is, is probably pretty capable to to um, actually achieve that. So yeah, that's going to be well the seen. big one for us.
1: And definitely a final awesome. one from me as well. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have a drink of whiskey with the boys from Ned on Friday night. Uh, up yeah. there at Adelaide they are a crazy bunch of dudes that Jason and his team my goodness me they're going to bring some <laughs> fun into your garage don't worry about that
0: yeah it's pretty cool I mean we've got two like you did touch on unbelievably um, active and supportive sponsors in Castrol and Ned and you, you know launching a brand is not very easy and you got to have the right people behind it, behind it creating the excitement they've certainly done that like they're they're having a big go this year, the, the team from there, and that's that's exciting for us. They got a good new, young, exciting ambassador with Andre as well to to help lead the way and being at the front. will help that, and um, it cr- it creates a pretty good you know balance in the team. I think as Castro have um have already already got that, but it's still pretty active in this in the space and support us mm. very well. It's, it's awesome to see as well. I mean, we turn up to the weekend and you've got the boss of Ford standing in our. Garage, You've got Tanya, the boss of Castrol. You've got all the Ned guys and girls as well. It's, um, we're in a good space. We've got some fantastic partners, and we're, we're out to um, achieve everything we can for them as well.
1: Fantastic partners, fantastic drivers, and very, very soon, I'm sure, absolutely fantastic cars as well. You'll be competing up the front in no time, Rick, with the determination that you guys have uh, in that team to get things right. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We really do appreciate it, and look forward to catching up with you again soon
0: anytime
1: any time, thanks very much. Well, there you go, Crazy. What a great chat there with uh, Rick Kelly. Fantastic to have him on, and it was an honest chat too.
2: Yeah, well, it was. I, I love it, Shebex. I, I love that they're not satisfied with ninth, and you know, we, we put them in the Race Talks Power Rankings on the website this week for their incredible build-up and the fact that they got a car into the top 10 in each race and they made the shootout as well. But um, I love hearing that hunger and the sport, in in supercars needs teams like that to be competitive and it strikes me that that we're going to see kelly racing somewhere near the front of the field sooner rather than later and and if you'd said that a kelly racing mustang which has done 20 laps of testing before the week started would be dicing with and, and rick touched on it dicing with a djr team penske mustang which has been the dominant car for the last two seasons um yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd whack me in the face, surely, yeah. because you just wouldn't think that. Um, just one final thing. On the Ned the Ned front, uh, we, we did have the opportunity, as you said, to to catch up with them. And part of their initiative this year uh, at, at Supercar Ranch is they're going to shout the bar yeah,
1: cool.
2: at local pubs. They'll brand pubs up as Ned Australian Whiskey Pubs, the Ned Quarters, which I think is great. Um, and then one night at random, they're going to shout the bar. And they did that on, um, on Thursday night in Adelaide at a great little pub that we often go to. On Hutt Street, and uh, Jace from Ned Australian Whiskey who is probably six five and a, a pretty big unit, he could play yeah. rugby for Australia, I would have thought. <laughs> walked in there with Andre Heimgartner, who's a um, an athlete, little Kiwi dude, and um, I'm not sure Andre is exactly knowing what he's got himself in for with this mob <laughs> this year, but I like <laughs> the journey. It's um it's great to see a sponsor so engaged in the sport and uh, and really pumping it hard and. Um, it's pretty tasty as well. I'm just uh, going to put it right out there.
1: Yeah, very much looking forward to my little trip down to the distillery in a few days' time. I'll uh, give you a report on that. Don't you worry. Yeah, thank hey,
2: you. Hey, buddy. I'm sure
1: uh, no problems. Uh, thank you for joining us again tonight, mate. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you uh, next week. Will we preview what's going to be uh, a pretty big lead-up to the Australian Grand Prix?
2: Yep, lots to get through, and we're not far away from the opening rounds of the the Shannon's Motor Racing Australia Championships as well, so... TCR and S5000 will be on track, and we'll have a little bit from their test day leading into their season as well. So, looking forward to that.
1: All right, buddy. Catch you soon. Thanks, mate. Richard Crowell joining us here on the grid. We'll wrap it up right there. Thank you for joining us, of course, course, powered by the Race Talk. And we look forward to speaking to you again next week. This program is a radio show limited production. Tell your friends there's more
0: at RadioLamont.com.